The Truth News Network. Where the truth is relative, all truths are equal. Yet some truths are more equal than others. Congratulations, you found the right truths. This is TNN, the Truth News Network. And for your daily dose of fact, here's Dan Newman. So if you didn't pick up on what Pete Moss was talking about there about two different kinds of truth, what he's referencing is the fact that today, half the country at least, they're saying instead of, hey, here's the truth, and you disagree with them, they're going to say this. Well, you've got your truth, and I've got mine. So in other words, they think there are two different versions of the truth on everything. And guess what? It's not so. I bet you've never heard that before here at TNN Live Truth News Network. Well, welcome to a Thursday show. Man, we got a lot of things going on. We have this big celebration going on in the United Kingdom where the Queen is celebrating, and I'm lost. I'm not sure which one this is, but it, I think it's a uh, uh, a platinum. I'm not sure. But I'm going to tell you what, I have a lot of respect for the Queen. Don't know her at all, know very little about her, but I've followed her career 70 years. 70 years she's been Queen. That's the longest run for any monarch in world history. That's a big deal in itself. But I'm going to tell you what's different between her and other monarchs in the world and other monarchs looking over her shoulder. She gets stuff done. She's a real leader. And most people don't realize that. You know who her first prime minister was? She got to be queen when she was a teenager. You know who was the first prime minister that she had to deal with in Britain? Winston Churchill. Now think about that. Winston Churchill... He was a dynamo, and here's a teenager, and and she's his boss. It's uncanny how she's been able to take those reins and really make them work and work well, but she's done a great job. My hats are off to her. Well, what's on tap for Thursday? This is the United States of America, folks. We have no idea what's on tap. We can make some predictions and absolutely know the things that we deal with, where we're going, what we're doing today. But looking around the landscape of Earth, can't do that too much because everything is in flux. And what we've got to do is find a way to put our fingers on the things in the world happening that relate directly to us and even indirectly because we don't want to miss anything, do we? And we can do that here. I know, I know you're a Hollywoodite and you were all up in Johnny Depp and Amber Heard's defamation and whatever that two lawsuit bundled together thing was, it was a $10 million defamation trial that Johnny Depp won, even though he sued his ex-wife Amber Heard for $50 million. She countersued for $100 million. Johnny Depp got Johnny Depp got $10 million. The jury delivered a verdict yesterday, awarded the Pirates of the Caribbean star $10 million, and that's compensatory damage, $5 million in punitive damages. The judge's name is Penny Ascart, rated Depp's punitive damage award from $5 million to $350,000, which is the maximum that can be charged 
and given under Virginia law, bringing the total sum to just over $10 million. Both parties issued separate statements following the news. I'm sure you understand they would do that. <laughs> Amber Heard's statement said, The disappointment I feel today is beyond words. I'm heartbroken that the mountain of evidence still was not enough to stand up to the disproportionate power, influence, and sway of my ex-husband. I'm even more disappointed, she said, with what this verdict means for other women. It is a setback. It sets back the clock to a time when a woman who spoke up and spoke out could be publicly shamed and humiliated. It sets back the idea that violence against women is to be taken seriously. I believe Johnny's attorney succeeded in getting the jury to overlook the key issue of freedom of speech and ignore evidence that was so conclusive that we won in the UK, Heard noted. I'm sad I lost this case, but I'm sadder still that I seem to have lost a right I thought I had as an American to speak freely and openly. So I wasn't in the trial. I watched, here's what I do when something big like this is going on, just so I can relate to you anything big that comes out of it. I'll do the executive summary version where I'll look at some of the follow-up after days in a trial and a case, and if there's anything significant, I'll dig in deeper. Same thing I did here. So before I give you my analysis, Johnny Depp also issued a statement saying, six years ago, my life, the life of my children, the lives of those closest to me, and also the lives of the people who for many, many years have supported and believed in me were forever changed. All in the blink of an eye, false, very serious and criminal allegations were levied at me through the media, which triggered an endless barrage of hateful content, although no charges were ever brought against me. It had already traveled around the world twice within a nanosecond, and it had a seismic impact on my life and career. Six years later, he said, the jury gave my life back, gave it to me. I'm truly humbled. My decision to pursue this case, knowing very well the height of the legal hurdles that I would be facing and the inevitable worldwide spectacle into my life, was only made after considerable thought. From the very beginning, the goal of bringing this case was to reveal the truth, regardless of the outcome. Speaking the trust was something that I owed my children and to all those who have remained steadfast in their support of me. I feel at peace knowing I have finally accomplished that. I also hope that the position will now return to innocent until proven guilty, both within the courts and the media. I wish to acknowledge the noble work of the judge, the jurors, the court staff, the sheriffs who have sacrificed their own time to get to this point, and to my diligent and unwavering legal team who did an extraordinary job in helping me to share the truth. The best is yet to come. And a new chapter, a new chapter has finally begun. Isn't that just a deep, deep conversation these two had? Now, keep in mind, these are two people. They're Hollywoodites. Now, Johnny Depp spends a lot of time in Europe, uh, in the UK specifically. In fact, he wasn't even in the courtroom for the verdict to be read yesterday. He was in uh, London. And he was doing a, a concert with Jeff Beck, their buddies. You know Jeff Beck is one of the greatest rock and roll guitarists of all time. Johnny Depp's pretty good. He's a pretty good musician. So he stayed over there. He didn't need to be there. The law doesn't require 
uh, one of the litigants to be in uh, in courtroom when the verdicts are read. Uh, so obviously he was watching it live. I don't know what you think about Amber Heard. I'll tell you this, she's a gorgeous woman. And she has some great movie roles. I guess her biggest was in Aquaman. Uh, she's been around a lot. She's well thought of in most circles until this trial. Now let me just say this. I'm going to back off of my opinion of this after I give you this one little thing that just blew my mind. She's a woman, very small woman. And she threw a wine bottle at him hard enough to cut the end of his finger off. (laughs) Where I come from, a girl that will do that, a girl that can do that, is a tough girl. I just tend to think when all of the other little bitty things started rolling out, um, I just think she's a really tough person, and I think she just went nuts on him one too many times. And there was evidence that showed that. He's not a saint, no question about it. But the fact that she wanted to portray herself, and she did, as a battered woman, I'm not saying she wasn't battered in some other part of her life. But I don't think, and I wasn't there, and you weren't there either. We don't know if it was Johnny Depp or not. We're not even sure she was. But I can tell you this. She's tough. She is really tough. And this whole thing is resolved, I hope. And regular news can get back to giving us really, really, really important stuff. Now, who do, who really came out a loser in this thing? Was it Johnny Depp? Was it Amber Heard? Well, because of the corporate media focus only on the most important things, <laughs> yeah, like this, you've likely gotten the hefty helping of the Johnny Depp versus Amber Heard courtroom drama even if you didn't want to. The real loser in this whole sensationalized mess isn't the Aquaman actress. She now owes $15 million to Johnny Depp. The loser in this is the Washington Post. Why is that? You may not remember this. Um, Amber Heard wrote a famous op-ed that was published in the Washington Post. And in it, she claims in 2018 that Johnny Depp, in his own words, cost her everything. It's all such a degenerate nightmare of he and said, he said, she said, from start to finish, claims of everything from drunken outbursts, drug addiction, sexual and physical abuse, poop on the bed sheets and the inadverted chopping off of a fingertip with that bottle in a bout of blind rage. These are just the snippets that I looked in and saw from the inescapable news cycle because there's really no other justifiable reason for watching such nonsense. Ukraine's at war, been invaded by Russia. We're looking at monkeypox that they're trying to amp up and make it the next COVID-19. And over here... I mean, in some places in America, people are paying $9 a gallon for gasoline. You can't get food, the food that you want when you go to the grocery store. I go to Kroger. There's a Kroger right around the corner, a really good store, a really good chain, national chain. Do you know it's been six months since at this Kroger, and I understand at other Kroger's, you can get grape jelly. No, I'm sorry, not grape jelly, grape jam 
in a squeeze bottle. They've got jelly. And I asked the question, why? And they said the distributor can't get the materials to put it together and get it to us. Grape jam is more important than Amber Heard and Johnny Depp, at least to me. Why do you like jam over jelly? Jelly's hard to spread. You know that. You've had peanut butter and jelly sandwiches yourself. There's just a few things that I picked up from this trial. None of any of this matters outside the ex-couple in their immediate circle. What does matter to the rest of us is the now even accented even more, the pitiful state of elite journalism that enables such a weighty claim as sexual violence to be published and it went unchallenged. Perhaps our cultural lie that nothing more than silence can constitute violence has watered down the word, but phrases such as sexual violence do have meaning, and weighty ones at that. It's the duty of journalists to gatekeep those definitions and fact-check claims of them. The Washington Post has reported also on the trial, trying to distance itself from Heard's op-ed with facts that came out after the newspaper published those claims such as how much each person sued the other for, for what the fallout of the article has been, and the fact that Depp has denied all claims of abuse. Any publication with any semblance of ethics might have asked Depp for comment, specifically about the sexual violence claims, before running with the allegations that they published by Amber Heard then subsequently spiked the op-ed or sicked its reporters on the case for more fact-finding. But the Washington Post didn't do any of that. The Post, which loves to blather in its self-important tone about democracy dies in darkness, didn't bother to turn the lights on in the direction of Heard's claims. What'd they do? Gave her a free pass to air dirty laundry against her ex-husband, consequently enabled her to paint herself both as a victim and as a crusader of the Me Too era. The whole situation offers, and I get two takeaways out of it, and they aren't that Depp is a dreamy hero or a stand-up husband. The first is that Believe All Women is not only a lousy standard for our culture general, uh, generally, but it's a disgraceful standard for legacy newsrooms. Good journalists live by a principle known as trust, but verify. And the Washington Post traded it for believe in print, or you'll be complicit in wife beating. To that end, second takeaway is that if the Washington Post can't be bothered to verify a simple but heavy claim of sexual violence against an A-list actor, it can't be trusted to tell the truth about things like Uh, Russia collusion hoaxes, rape allegations against Republican Supreme Court nominees, guns, infanticide supporters, abortion, corrupt bureaucrats, critical race theory opponents, kids wearing MAGA hats, brutal ISIS leaders, peaceful Trump supporters, or even Jesus, among countless other people and things. Amber Heard, she may have lost the lengthy defamation battle. But the Washington Post is the one with a habit of crapping on the bed. 
That in itself, when I heard about that, it just blew my mind. And of course, he said she did it. She said a dog did it. I wonder if they did a DNA test to find out. Did you think about that? That crossed my mind. I mean, hey, we live in America, and this was Hollywood. Everything can be politicized, especially by Hollywood folks, because, hey, they love getting in front of the camera. They like news about themselves, news. Even if it's bad news, we're in the news, and that's good for the career. Wow. Top of the show today, we do Johnny Depp and Amber Heard. It's not even a slow Friday, folks, but that's how much concentration has been on that trial. Now that Disney has fired him from the Caribbean movie series, I wonder who if they're going to pick up another one and do another one or they're going to bring him back. If they do it with somebody else, it'll be a flop. I mean, that's just automatic when you have one person that stars in a series of big movie hits. I mean, look at what's out right now. Top Gun Maverick. Do you think they could ever do another Top Gun without Tom Cruise? There's no way. And it'd be stupid to try, but there are stupid movie studios out there that try to do these things from time to time. Anyway, do you want to segue into real news? Really important things? I heard this yesterday, and I almost threw up. And that doesn't happen very often. Because I don't get surprised by much that happens in the news. They announced yesterday they're going to cancel federal student loans for over half a million borrowers who attended a for-profit Corinthian college chain. Under this plan, hundreds of thousands of students who attended the now-defunct chain, listen to this, they're going to get five point eight billion with a B dollars in full loan discharges. That's the largest of its kind in the Department of Education's history. They put out a release. Secretary Miguel Cardona, as of today, he said every student deceived, defrauded, and driven into debt by Corinthian colleges can rest assured that the Biden Harris administration has their back and will discharge their federal student loans. This is Cardona speaking. For too long, Corinthian engaged in the wholesale financial exploitation of students, misleading them into taking on more and more debt to pay for promises they would never keep. I just am staggered by the amount. $5.8 billion. Now, let me just give you the offshoot thoughts that I have about this. The first one is, Joe Biden, I'm sure he's very wealthy, but he doesn't have $5.8 billion in his checking account. Somebody's got to pay that. Well, of course, it'll be the Department of Education. That's who's going to pay it. They're going to write checks. Well, 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 listen to this. They don't have that kind of money. Federal government's got it, right? Somewhere. They hide it in a drawer. Stuff it in the back of a, of a closet shelf. No, they don't have it either. 
the United States of America doesn't have $5. billion extra dollars. So what they're going to do is borrow money to pay these guys that borrowed money. Well, who's going to be ultimately um, responsible for that? Well, it won't get paid off anytime soon. But if and when it gets paid off, it will come out of your pocket and out of mine. So in other words, we personally are going to be charged for a decision that the United States Congress had no say-so in. They're the branch of the government that we expect to manage our money that we send to the IRS in taxes, right? That's what the Constitution said is supposed to happen. There is nothing in the Constitution, nor is there any law in government that's been passed by Congress that says a president has unilateral authority to spend $5.8 billion of taxpayer money. It doesn't exist. So here we are. I don't even need to go into the horrors of the financial condition of our nation, our economy, you and me, and what it's costing us extra just to live so that Joe Biden can try to look like the hero and build back better. This is insanity. And this, if they do this like this and there are no questions, there are no people out there raising their hands and saying, uh, Mr. President, Mr. President, on what authority did you make this decision? Could you give us the provision in the United States Congregation, uh, Constitution, Congregation, listen to me, I'm in church. Can you give us the provision in the U.S. Constitution that says you can do that? Well, of course, he couldn't tell you where there was anything in the Constitution that said that. I can point to several places where it makes it very clear. It should go, and it must go to the people's house, the United States U.S. Congress, the House of Representatives. So, several news people jumped on this. The Washington Post, of course, their editorial board said that President Biden's apparent plan for student loan forgiveness would still be an expensive and inequitable election year stunt. The board said the president was right to resist the Democrat Party's call to eliminate 50 grand worth of student debt per person, which would provide aid to wealthy borrowers that don't need the help. The president is leading towards forgiving $10,000 of student loans per borrower, Now, this is according to the Washington Post. His latest plan will also limit forgiveness to individual borrowers making less than $150,000 per year and $300,000 for married couples filing together. Now, you can sit for 20 minutes and just shoot all kinds of holes in this plan. Let me ask you this. I'm a parent. My kids went to college. Um... I'm I'm trying to think. I don't think we did any student loan borrowing for our kids. But if we did, we would have paid it back. And when our kids were in school, they're in their 40s now. When they were in school, um, we were living okay, pretty good, but we were not people that could write a $30,000, $40,000 check. Oh, we could write the check, but it wouldn't clear the bank. You know what I'm talking about. But if I was one of the millions of parents out there that struggled, 
struggled in the past, maybe in the 70s, 80s, 90s, along in there, to get their kids through college to give them the best opportunity to move forward, and I had to go get a student loan, and I had to pay it back. So here we are in 2022, and the President of the United States, what he's going to do is write a check that he's writing on your bank account, but not giving the money to you so you can get repaid for your child's student loan that you paid. It's only for today. Actually, it's only for 2022. He'll probably do it again in 2024 if he decides to run again. Why? It's an election ploy. Everybody knows it. It's a campaign election uh, idea that he's going to do if he can make it happen. And it's for his campaign to get people to jump over on his side because he's such a great guy. But we're paying the bill. This just speaks to the horror of the structure of the American campaign election system. It's gotten totally out of hand, way out of hand. There's too much money. There's too much people, too many people that have their hands in our government and they're using money to get opportunity to shape the way the nation is operated from the top, Congress and the White House. There's a reason why Joe Biden was given the nickname Quid Pro Joe a long time ago. It's very clear. He doesn't mind being obligated. When he asks somebody for money, he knows if he takes that money. Whenever these people have a need, they're going to be knocking on his door or calling and he's going to be obligated to help them out. That's why so many things that are really important here in the United States and around the world that just seem like common knowledge would say, do this or don't do this. And then he does something stupid. And he just doesn't care if anybody gets it. I'll give you an example. A former mayor's wife in Moscow, Russia, gave the Bidens a million dollars. And I think may have been a second gift for even more of that. And she's one of the wealthiest, if not the wealthiest person in Russia today. When Joe Biden was putting out all of these um, uh, pieces of uh, executive action against the oligarchs in Russia, every other one of them, they were stopped from doing business around the world, at least any place where the U.S. has influence. She wasn't on the list. That's just one example. There's no reasonable explanation for that other than it's quid pro quo. The love of money is the root of all evil. When you have all the power, you can have all the money you want, so you don't have to struggle too much to get it. It always goes back to the money. And there are people out there that want to argue about that, but I didn't say that. It's biblical. Jesus said it. If you don't like it, talk to him. What is Coca-Cola? Is it an excuse to get together? Since 1886, Coca-Cola has been passing on smiles from generation to generation. We've been giving kids scholarships. Like the early birds and the all-nighters. And you get to enjoy what matters most 
Coca-Cola. Drink up. Des Moines Help Wanted.com salutes the employee of the month, the one employee you can't live without. The others, let's just call them Dave. Dave, we need to talk about your sick days. What seems to be the problem, Mr. Employee of the Month? Last week, you were out all five days. I was sick. Thanks for checking in. You posted on social media that you were at a comedy club on Monday. Laughter is the best medicine. An outdoor barbecue on Tuesday. Feed a cold, starve a fever, or whichever one needs to be fed. That's the one I had. Okay, Wednesday, you took a selfie, hashtag faking sick. That was supposed to say freaking sick. Thursday, you were at an amusement park. Park. Somebody stole my phone. They stole your phone and uploaded photos of you at an amusement park. Yes, fake news. Friday, you tailgated in the employee parking lot. Friday's basically the weekend. Everyone knows that. If you don't mind hiring Dave's, go to the huge national job boards. That's probably what you'll get. But if you want more employees of the month, go where local job seekers find good local jobs. We don't discriminate against people named Dave. Dave is a common name, fun to say, and so we're using it as a catch-all for lackluster employees everywhere. Please don't write us to tell us you were insulted by this ad. That would be a real Dave move, Dave. Your true friends are the people in your life that totally get your inside jokes, your unique style, most important, what you want to eat. Taco Bell knows that when you get together with your real friends, it doesn't matter what you're doing, but hey, it might as well be something that everybody can get into, like the taco and burrito cravings pack with four crunchy tacos and four beefy five-layer burritos. So even if you're all sitting around doing absolutely nothing, you know you'll still have a good time. It's Taco Bell's Taco and Burrito Cravings Pack. Get it for the friends that get it for a limited time at participating Taco Bell locations near you. Do you fly very often, fly commercially? Um, I, I, I don't even know how many air miles I've accumulated through my uh, adult life, but I fly a lot. What is the most aggravating thing to you about flying? And put the COVID stuff to the side. Just put that to the side. What is the most aggravating thing, the worst thing that happens? I live in Shreveport, Louisiana. Shreveport, not a major market, but kind of a semi-good hub. We have real good connections from Shreveport to DFW, Dallas, and also to Houston. And even Delta has a direct flight here to Atlanta. And of course, from those, you can go anywhere on the globe. And I've done that for a long time. What's really difficult is when the plane that lives Shreveport which are not full-size jets, they're commuters. When it is scheduled to take you to either Atlanta or Dallas or Houston to catch another flight, the big leg of that flight, when the little flight from Shreveport to one of those big cities is delayed, an early morning flight, and you have, when you get to DFW or Houston or Atlanta, you have five minutes because of the delay to catch your next leg. That, to me, is the most aggravating thing of flying. And especially when those connections cost you an overnight somewhere in a place that you had no desire to stay overnight. And why did I say that? Well, it's about to happen to me. (laughs) Oh, you know, life sucks and then you die. We just deal with what's on our plate. Have you kept up? Let me ask you this. The the White House, they pretty much have a press conference every day. And they should because there are so many moving parts in government and things that American people should know and definitely want to know. 
Jen Psaki was the one that ramrodded all of that for the first year and a half of this president. But now, Corrine Jean-Pierre took over the reins. Have you noticed something about that? Every major television network would carry those briefings every day when Jen Psaki was doing it. They're not doing that with Corrine Jean-Pierre. You know why? She's lost as a goose. She says she has no idea why President Biden didn't know about the formula crisis for two months. And she admits she did not listen to what he told reporters and then dodges multiple questions. That's her modus operandi. Biden's new press secretary, she struggled through a one-hour and four-minute briefing yesterday. She admitted she hadn't listened to a Q&A session Biden had with reporters just minutes before I was in my office, she said. I didn't actually hear what the president said. I do not like to speak on something without having a conversation with the president first. She was unable to answer why Biden didn't know about the brewing baby formula shortage for two months. Now, I would think if I was going to have an hour-long, hour-long-plus press briefing right now especially, that would be one of the things that I would need to know every the, the detail about it because I'm going to be asked about it. At the conclusion of an event on the baby formula crisis, which was held directly before that press briefing yesterday, Biden told reporters in the room he was first informed of the baby formula shortage in early April. Several CEOs who zoomed into the White House event said they knew as early as February when Abbott's formula was recalled that there would be a problem. We knew from the very beginning this would be a serious event. That's from Robert Cleveland, an executive at Reckitt, one of the big formula production companies. We were aware of the general impact that this would have. Why Biden wasn't informed sooner remains a mystery. Now, I would say that's a fact. Biden wasn't informed sooner remains a mystery. But I would say the odds are better than 50-50 that he did get told about it and it went right over his head. Was somebody called here at the White House to say this could be an issue that requires presidential involvement? That's a question from CBS's Ed O'Keefe. Asked Jean-Pierre that in the press briefing. Her response, so I don't have the timeline on that, the press secretary said. All I can tell you, as a whole-of-government approach, we have been working on this since the recall in February. ABC's Mary Bruce later pressed Jean-Pierre, saying that it sounded like even if the president had known sooner, it wouldn't have improved the response. No, that's not what I'm saying, Jean-Pierre said. I'm saying that we have been working on this since we found out that we found out about the recall since day one. That's what I'm laying out to all of you as a timeline, she said. As a whole of government response, we have taken this on since the first day we learned about the recall. She's only two and a half weeks into her tenure as press secretary. She hasn't held briefings daily because of Biden's recent trip to South Korea and Japan. At least that's what they're saying. During yesterday's briefing, she got question after question about the baby formula shortages timeline. Was there a breakdown in the process that somebody failed to inform him? That's from CNN's MJ Lee. You would think they're going to be kind to a Democrat president press secretary. When he asked that, Jean-Pierre again said, 
She hadn't talked to the president about the comments he made. I would have to talk to him about that April date, she said, later saying she wasn't disputing the president's words. No, I'm not questioning the president at all. Lee pointed out that the president said he didn't understand how bad the issue was until April, while Jean Perry said the White House was working on the problem since February. This prompted Jean Perry to read from her briefing book. That big book that Jen Psaki, you know, she throws it over her shoulder and walked into the briefing room. She said this when she looked at the book. So the actions across the government began day one. The White House has been in close regular contact with agencies responsible for addressing these issues ever since then. While these actions made serious progress, including by ensuring there was more infant formula coming off factory lines and before the recall, it's clear there was more work to be done, more levers to be pulled, which is why you see higher profile actions this month. She was then pressed again why the president wasn't aware of this work being done. I don't even to tell you what she said. The president has multiple issues, crises at the moment. So that's number one to remember. But the most important thing is that as a White House, working with the interagencies, we have been working on this since day one, since the recall. And this is his White House. So Fox News' Peter Ducey, he's a front row guy, and he finally changed the topic. When are you guys going to admit you were wrong about inflation? You know how she responded? No easy questions today, huh? (laughs) Listen, I'm not a brain surgeon. I'm not a press secretary. I'm just an old guy from the South. I, in my career, have never faced an issue that I didn't get on top of as quickly as possible. If it impacted my business, my company, and in this case, that would be President Biden and his business and company is the United States government. Nobody in my organization ever had to come tell me, hey, you don't know about this, but if it was important, I already knew about it. We were in a service industry and in a service company, so that makes it even more critical. I would think a president of the United States would be on top of every big issue. And you know where he stupidly missed this whole thing on the baby formula? It has to do with moms. Of course, everybody in the family is affected. But moms are the one who are directly charged with this part of life for their family members, feeding them. And I don't care who you are. When you go to Kroger's or Walmart or Safeway, wherever you shop, and you need baby formula, and you go into a grocery store that for your entire life, not that just of your child, there's baby formula all over the place. And then all of a sudden, in the United States of America, it's gone and you can't find it. We can't find grape jam in a squeeze bottle either. Whatever happened to that thing that he said when he first was campaigning? If I'm elected, any issues that happen, 
It's going to stop right here with me. The buck stops here. He takes responsibility for nothing that goes bad in his administration. He deflects, deflects, and in many cases now, he's throwing people that work for him under the bus when he's pressed about an important decision, a bad decision that he makes. That's not leadership, and it's certainly not a president of the United States. Let's, you, you're, let's just slip over to that Ukraine war. You know it's still going on, and it doesn't look really good for Ukraine right now. You know how Volodymyr Zelensky, the president of Ukraine, even before Russia invaded, they be, he began to every day scream to the West, help us with infrastructure, help us with weapons, with ammunition. We don't want you to send your people. We can handle it, but you need to help us. And everybody was reluctant to get started. Nobody just jumped right on top of that, including the United States of America. This president slow played his hand and still is. So what are the biggies that Zelensky continually says he needs? We need missiles, missiles that can fly and catch the stuff coming out of Russia before it gets across the border, rockets and missiles, and we've got a plethora of them here. And so those cries from Ukraine went public around the world. Vladimir Putin weighed in himself, and he made it very clear if the United States provided these kind of missiles to Ukraine, there would be dire consequences. He didn't elaborate, but basically what it said was, don't you dare do that or you're going to pay a price. Guess what was announced yesterday? Here we are, months into the war, Zelensky asking us for these missiles from the very beginning. Big announcement. The Biden administration is planning to sell Ukraine four $40 million MQ-1C Gray Eagle Predator drones that can fire up to eight Hellfire missiles and they can fly for 30 hours. Now, they have refused to send warplanes to Ukraine, but they're now planning to equip Kiev with some of the most modern and deadly long-range drones The plan would involve selling those four MQ-1C Gray Eagles drones, a more powerful version of the unmanned Predator aircraft and capable of carrying eight Hellfire missiles for battlefield use against the Russian forces. You notice a little caveat at the front of this many of you may not have picked up on. We're not giving them to them. We're selling them. Selling them. 40 million bucks The sale of the General Atomics-made drones could still be blocked by Congress. That's according to a source who said the plan has been discussed at the Pentagon for a week. Ukraine has made effective use of smaller, short-range unmanned systems, like the Turkish Bayaktar 2B-TB2 has been celebrated for its battlefield success. Details of the latest plan came out as The White House announced a brand new $70 million round of military aid for Ukraine, including high-mobility artillery rocket systems. The new package will arm them with new capabilities and advanced weaponry, including HIMARS with battlefield munitions to defend their territory from Russian advances. That's a statement from Joe Biden. We will continue to lead the world in providing historic assistance 
to support Ukraine's fight for freedom. Historic assistance. The only only reason uh, you could even use the word historic in it is that it is happening. But folks, this president, especially as it pertains to Ukraine and Russia, he's leading from behind. And it's not doing very much good overseas, where it needs to be doing a lot of good. You notice one thing we haven't even talked about or mentioned, our economy, other than to talk about the price of gas. It's way, 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 way up. And it's going up every day. I mean, it went up a nickel a gallon during the day yesterday. Representative Tom McClintock, he's committee chair of one of the House Economic Committees. And yesterday in a hearing, there was some, uh, some talk about how great the United States economy is. And when that was said and several people got up and spoke and confirmed what the person that introduced that information had said, McClintock had enough. And he asked for a moment to give his opinion. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. You know, I, I find it <clears throat> astonishing that the chairman would tout the so-called American Rescue Plan as a success. <clears throat> Even Democratic consultants like Steve Ratner and Larry Summers were warning that it was so irresponsible that it would trigger a crippling inflation. <clears throat> Mr. Chairman, it turns out all the free checks you sent out were actually very expensive. And Americans are paying them back every day at the grocery store, the gas station, the tax collector, everywhere they spend money. Is I've seen a report costing average families about $5,000 from their purchasing power. My God, before the lockdowns uh, took a wrecking ball to the economy, you know, we had the lowest unemployment rate in 50 years, the, the lowest poverty rate in 60 years, the fastest wage growth in 40 years, and it was working class families gaining the most. The gap between rich and poor was actually narrowing for the first time in our lifetimes. We were energy independent for the first time in our lifetimes. Inflation was around 1%. Interest rates were near all-time lows. That didn't happen by accident. The Republican tax cuts produced one of the biggest economic expansions in history, an expansion that was so great, we ended up taking in more revenues after the tax cuts than we'd received before them. We saw the biggest regulatory rollback in history that freed up American energy resources, brought companies back to America from overseas. But all you had to do was continue that, those, those, those policies that produced this prosperity. And instead, you did the opposite. You spent trillions of dollars we didn't have. You started what Mr. Biden just called an incredible transition away from fossil fuels by imposing the highest gasoline prices in American history. You've admitted into our country an impoverished population the size of West Virginia that American taxpayers have to now support. And you have the audacity to try to tell us that the economy's doing great. You know, just a word of advice. You can't spin the economy. Every person knows how the economy is doing because they're living it every day. And that's what makes the old Reagan question so devastating to, 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 to you and your party. Are you better off today than you were four years ago? Everybody knows the answer to that in their own lives. And they can see clearly who's responsible for it. You're not fooling anyone. Now, Mr. Swagel, I, I want to begin with three numbers that 
describe the fiscal reality we face, 28, 76, and 89. According to our calculations, 28% is the growth in population and inflation combined over the last 10 years, 28%. 76% is the growth in revenues, which means that revenues are growing at nearly three times the rate of inflation and population over the past 10 years. That's after the tax cuts. 89% is the increase in spending, and spending is the fine point of the matter. Seems to me there, there are only three ways to pay for it. I, uh, taxes, but personal taxes decrease the purchasing power of families in the present. Business taxes are passed through to consumers as higher prices, to employees as lower wages, and to investors as lower earnings. So that's one way you can do it. Second way is to borrow from capital markets, but of course this reduces the capital available to finance construction and consumer spending and home and automobile purchases and business expansion. And of course, borrowing is paid back through future taxes and it generates additional interest costs along the way. And the third way is to borrow from ourselves, essentially printing money, which is the direct cause of inflation, too many dollars chasing too few goods. So it follows then that it's excessive spending that is driving all three drags on the economy uh, to, to paraphrase the, the Clinton era maxim, it's the spending stupid. Mr. Swago, am I missing anything? Um, uh, no, no. I mean, you've I, I think you've got it that right. The inflation we're seeing is the the combination of very strong demand and, and you know much of that is driven by um, you know by fiscal policy. Um, you know, certainly, there's a, a recovery from the pandemic combined with the supply constraints, and those are driving uh, inflation. Well, let's talk about that inflation rate for a second, 8.3%, as I understand it. So does that mean if I've managed to put away $100,000 in my retirement fund, does that mean I've just lost $8,300 in purchasing power over the last year? Um, or that would be one implication that the, um, right, the, the number you gave is the, the most recent 12 months of inflation. Um, it means that Americans, or nominal wages are up, but real wages are down for, for, most, um, for most Americans. So um, yeah, it's a, a challenge for families and um, a challenge for the economy, absolutely, and a fiscal challenge as well. And isn't the classic definition of inflation too many dollars chasing too few goods? So if you flood the economy with dollars while you raise taxes on productivity, you get more inflation or less inflation? Right. I mean, uh, we have very strong demand and, and um, you know, uh, serious constraints on supply and those dollars chasing the inadequate supply that leads to higher inflation. Right. Thank you. Every one of Joe Biden's predecessors in the White House that I can remember, I mean, all the way back to JFK, every one of them, when there was a especially an economic crisis in the nation. They wouldn't just wait and see what happens. They wouldn't wait for difficult things to develop. And knowing when they develop that at that point, you can look back and say, maybe I should have done this sooner and done so. It didn't happen that way. Joe Biden leads from behind in everything. If he tackles, if he tackles something, He's always late in getting it. He's not out front with a plan to make things better. And I'm not just pulling that out of the air, folks. It's actually happening. Look at what he did on the supply chain issue. When that thing first popped up and we realized it was a monster, they began to scramble in the White House because they didn't have any plan. And then Jensaki got up 
in the press briefing, and she said, oh, we've been working on this supply chain issue even before President Biden was sworn into office. We've been working on it for 10 months. How dare you question us? If I'd have been sitting in the press briefing room, I would have raised my hand. Ooh, 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 Misaki, Misaki. Can I look at that plan? Can you tell me the plan? I'd really like to know what y'all have done to get this taken care of. Nobody ever confronted them with that that I know of. Maybe somebody asked, but it didn't happen in the press briefing room because I watched it several times back then trying to understand what was going on. And that's just one example. Inflation, if you were with us yesterday, during the show, we gave you President Biden's new three-part plan to beat inflation. And it's not even a plan. There's no teeth in it. There's no explanations of any of the three points as to exactly what they could possibly do and how they were going to do it. And by the way, when they were going to do it. There's also never been a president in history that has done so much so bad that hurts so bad in just the first little more than a year as president. Normally it takes two to three years to tear up an economy and our social structure and our foreign policy. Joe Biden, he did it in a few months. So he's done really well if you're keeping up with failing and you consider his failing something that's necessary. And they just keep they just keep doing it over and over and over again. And of course, you know that's the definition of insanity. I got a shock yesterday afternoon. I got a text from a friend of mine that was in town this past weekend. And he was asking about another friend that was here also last weekend in a meeting. And it had reference to those shooting incidents and the people that were killed in Tulsa because one of the other guys that was in this meeting lives in Tulsa and his wife worked at the facility where this happened. They were looking to see if I had heard anything from him. The detail, no, as a matter of fact, I had and she wasn't there. Anyway, three people were killed yesterday in a shooting inside a medical facility in Tulsa. NBC News said multiple others were killed, excuse me, were injured during the attack. And it took place right at the end of the day, 5 o'clock local time. Two new Oklahomans said the attack occurred in the Natalie building on the St. Francis campus of St. Francis Medical Center. No other details other than that those people were killed included. There were five that ended up were killed. One of those was the gunman shot himself. Don't know any of the details, but it's just another example of people just having it up to their ears and turning to violence to fix something, which you and I both know violence never does. We're going to take a break here. And we're going to talk about, just for a few moments, when we get back, the Russia collusion probe and five new questions that have come out of it in light of what happened in the Sussman trial. As you know, he was he was declared innocent in that trial. Most Americans that watched and read and looked at all the stuff that had been found that was sufficient to arrest him and charge him with those things, I see absolutely no way why any jury 
any jury could not convict him for lying to the FBI. It was in black and white. And somehow still, it's Washington, D.C., there were three Hillary Clinton supporters on the jury, and one of the people on the jury's kid plays Little League sports with Sussman himself. That was a real impartial jury, wasn't it? More news is coming out of that. Be back right after this at TNN. Your daily dose of the truth. TNN, the Truth News Network. Truthnewsnet.org. Lowe's knows you're a craftsman guy. You have a lot of tools. Tools for everything you've done around the house. But there's the moment you realize your new project means new tools. When tool guys need new tools, they start with Lowe's. The new home of craftsmen. Hello. Hello, sir. I hear you having problems putting together your new kitchen unit. Oh, yeah. Uh, the instructions say... The what now? The instruction manual. It makes absolute... Stop reading that. Well, what would you suggest I use? I suggest you use the fact you're a man. Huh? Guys who got pride never relied on no guide, sucker. I'll give you some step-by-step instructions. <laughs> Buy Snickers, remove wrapper, bite chocolate, and get some nuts. Go to GetSomeNuts.tv for more Snickers man coaching. Truth. Justice, the TNN way. This is TNN, the Truth News Network. And again, Dan Newman. So the attorney for the Hillary Clinton campaign, Sussman, was charged with lying to the FBI. And there was all kind of evidence to prove that he lied to the FBI and that he charged the Hillary Clinton campaign for the services when he said it never happened. He never went to the meeting with the FBI uh, lead attorney, general counsel, to have that meeting, that conversation. And so the history's done. Sussman was ruled innocent. Now, while the trial concluded that he was innocent, special counsel Durham's team of prosecutors succeeded in shining a light on new evidence about how the false Trump-Russia collusion narrative got foisted upon the FBI and the nation. And with each revelation come new questions. Lying to the FBI was a charge. Durham alleged Sussman had lied in a meeting with then-FBI General Counsel James Baker, and he said, Sussman said, that he was not representing any clients in relaying a since-debunked allegation of a secret communication channel between the Russian Alpha Bank and the Trump Organization. And according to John Durham, Sussman was at the time representing two clients from his Perkins Coy law firm, the Clinton campaign, and then New Star tech firm executive Rodney Jaffe. Sussman, of course, claimed he told the truth, and the jury sided with him. End of the story, right? Trump Media and Technology Group CEO Devin Nunes, who was the former House Intelligence Committee chairman who helped unravel the Russia collusion narrative, said that TV show co-host John Solomon and Amanda Heard on Wednesday that he's not that concerned about Sussman's acquittal, nor did it surprise him. Of course, given the trial took place in Washington, 
Clinton, by the way, received 90% of the vote in 2016. Nunes said Durham has to know that he was rolling the dice with really a one out of 30 chance that he was going to get a conviction of Sussman. But the prosecution raised some important new questions regarding the Trump-Russia collusion investigation, and it happened all throughout the trial. Those questions were augmented by a new revelation yesterday by congressional investigators. So here are the questions. Number one, what was the relationship between Perkins, Coy, and the FBI? That's a pretty big deal. The FBI is the FBI, and Perkins Coy is a law firm, and they represent really heavyweight people. What kind of relationship do they have? Nunes mentioned that some of his former colleagues in Congress have learned of some type of strange relationship between Sussman's former law firm and the FBI. In early May, Jim Jordan and Matt Gates, both Republican representatives, wrote a letter to Perkins Coy inquiring about a secure work environment installed by the Justice Department at the Perkins Coy law firm. Last Wednesday, Perkins Coy responded to the letter, confirming that relationship exists between the law firm and the FBI. And listen to this. It goes all the way back to 2012. Ten years. Ten years. Their response said, quote, the secure work environment was given final accreditation by the physical security unit of the FBI on March 26, 2012. The secure work environment began operation on that date and has been in continuous operation since then. Well, guess what? According to the law firm's letter, Sussman had access to the secure work environment until July of last year. While Perkins Coy maintains and has access to the secure work environment and is responsible to the FBI for maintaining the secure work environment, Pursuant to FBI standards and requirements, the Bureau itself was responsible for initially accrediting the secure work environment and periodically performs inspections to make sure that that environment is operating in accordance with the requisite standards. So reps Jordan and Gates want to know more. I do too, including what the secure work environment was used for and whether the firm's lawyers or clients worked as confidential human sources for the FBI. So that was question number one. Number two, what is still unknown, if anything, about the Steele dossier? Nunes pointed out that the October trial of Igor Danchenko, a Russian analyst who was the primary source for the Christopher Steele dossier, is the next important component of Durham's probe. Former MI6 agent Steele was paid by the Clinton campaign's opposition research firm to dig up dirt on Russia, and he took that information to the FBI, much like Sussman did in his allegations about Alpha Bank. By the way, Durham has already charged Danchenko with repeatedly lying to the FBI during the Russia collusion investigation. The FBI terminated its relationship with Steele because he leaked to the news media early in the the investigation and concluded that much of Steele's dossier alleging Russia collusion was either false, uncorroborated, or useless. Kevin Brock, the FBI's former intelligence chief, 
said that one revelation from the Sussman trial that needs further explanation is the fact that Sussman's Alpha Bank allegations and several of Steele's dossier memos were delivered to the FBI on the exact same day. What kind of got lost in this trial is the fact that there appeared to be a concentrated, concerted strategy by the campaign to release disinformation about Alpha Bank and disinformation about the Steele dossier on the same day, September 19, 2016. This is not an accident. Question three, who else in the FBI is being investigated by John Durham? Well, during the trial, it was revealed one of the prosecution's witnesses, FBI agent Curtis Hyde, is currently under investigation by the special counsel for not turning over exculpatory evidence related to the Russia case. An FBI agent named Ryan Gaynor, also a witness for the prosecution, was originally a witness in Durham's investigation prior to the trial. During the course of this probe, Gaynor became a subject of Durham's investigation, but his status returned a witness after he remembered that there was a close hold placed on Sussman's identity by senior FBI leadership, preventing him from telling the investigating agents who the source of the email server data was. The question remains whether other FBI current and former employees are also under investigation. Question four, what was the FBI's and the CIA's final analysis of the email server data? So remember this, the FBI closed the Alpha Bank investigation in January of 2017 and believed that the allegation was not supported by the evidence. The Bureau was given information from the CIA following the agency's February 2017 meeting with Sussman. Former CIA officer, and we hadn't talked about the CIA in this, a guy named Kevin P. testified during the trial that he had met with Sussman who gave him information regarding the Alpha Bank allegation. Kevin P. said he passed along the information to the FBI. During his cross-examination, Hyde said it was mentioned that his former trainee, then FBI agent Allison Sands, had interviewed cybersecurity company Mandiant again regarding the Alpha Bank allegation in April of 2017. Hyde said the investigation was incomplete because his team was unable to speak with the source of the allegation, the author of the white paper explaining the data for the allegation, or the person who brought the information to the FBI in the first place. Question five, what resources did Rodney Jaffe use when he was a government contractor? During the trial, Jaffe's government contracts were mentioned, but not the extent to which he had access to the government while he researched the notion of Trump having a secret communications channel directly with the Kremlin. Former FBI agent Tom Grasso testified that he worked with Jaffe on cybercrime investigations for the Bureau, calling him a private sector partner and friend. Jaffe was also a confidential human source for the FBI at the time. He supplied the Bureau with the Alpha Bank allegation through Sussman. Nunes said there are questions remaining about what, if any, federal resources Jaffe used to do the work and who in the government knew about it. Five questions. 
that have been put out there, pretty big ones. And I, I went into detail because I, it, these are going to come up. You can book it. John Durham is already weighted into these particular areas. But there's stuff there that needs to come up, and it's going to come up. We just don't know in what perspective, at what time, and what uh, the content will be once they get the answers to those. Meanwhile, we have an election coming up. And I mean, every day it just gets deeper and deeper, hotter and hotter. And as you get closer to the final primaries, the runoffs, and some of them are late. We have some uh, primary elections for the 2022 midterm election in November. We have some primaries that won't be held until August. Oh, my gosh. Can you imagine being locked up in a campaign that long a period of time? I mean, out there every day beating the bushes, trying to convince people your candidate is the person, the one that has all the answers. And while you're doing that, at the same time, you got your hand out asking for money all day, every day, and in most cases at nighttime too. Could you imagine doing that every day from here to August? It would be a nightmare. At least for me, it would be a nightmare. So Joe Biden's got an election coming up. How do you think he's doing nationwide? Hmm. Do you remember when Ronald Reagan was president? You remember he uh, he he succeeded Jimmy Carter the. Jimmy Carter, the peanut farmer from Georgia, he uh, took over after Jimmy Carter, and the economy of the nation was a wreck. I mean, inflation was through the roof. Interest rates were out of sight. People couldn't even think about doing anything big, buying anything, because money was scarce. And if you borrowed money, prime lending rate was 18 19%, which meant you were paying 20 21%. So the people were scrambling. Reagan came in, and he had a tough time in his first term. Why? Because he had to undo all the things that were bad, kind of like what Trump had to do, and quite a bit like whoever follows this president is going to have to do. He's going to be in cleanup mode for a while, he or she, because it's it's in a mess. It's a tangled mess. All that being said, How do you think Biden would be doing? If you watch the major network news shows, ABC, CBS, NBC, even over on MSNBC and CNN on cable news, if you watch them, they are now being forced to pass along some of the bad news, the difficulties, the problems going on in the Biden administration and what's happening around the nation. But on the most part, they give him a free pass on everything still. But the people... What about the people? Each of these reporters and editors for these newspapers and these television stations and networks, all they have is one vote each. It takes a lot of people to elect a president, right? So how do you think Biden's doing around the nation?
The American people are making it clear they have had enough of President Biden's failed policies. A new poll finds he's underwater in 47 states, including his home state of Delaware and the typically dark blue California. The president's uh, job approval also slipping to just 34 percent. Patrice, Mercedes, I want to get your take on these polls. It seems every week there's a worse poll than the week before. Now we're talking about 47 states saying they disapprove of Joe Biden's handling of the economy and his handling as president. Patrice. Yeah. You know, it's it's so interesting, Maria. It's not surprising. People are feeling the pain at the pump, at the grocery store, and they're talking. They're they're chalking it up to President Biden. Not to mention all the crises that he's that he's had to face, and and uh, and frankly, are due to his policies. I'm actually looking at the independent number when only 22 percent of independents say that they approve of his they approve of the job he's doing. That tells me that uh, Democrats are going to be in some trouble this November because in some swing states, those independent voters are the ones that are going to be needed to carry him across the threshold or to carry, you know, his party across the threshold and at least keep some of their seats. Mercedes, I think the independent uh, point is a really important one because you're seeing independents who have voted both ways running from this administration and the Democrats. Yeah, Maria, remember the day when the Democrats were the party of the working class, and that's no longer. I mean, you saw President Trump, he was able to uh, create a shift where working Americans started to support President Trump. Uh, you've also seen minorities moving away from Biden. So Hispanics, African-Americans, uh, because they look at this extreme agenda coming from the left, where the economy, it's been a very slow response coming from Joe Biden. And you've seen these Democrats, especially at the local levels, focusing on issues like cr critical race theory and the gender confusion agenda. And that has really hurt the Democrats. So at the end of the day, the Americans are going to be voting with their pocketbooks. They're also looking at issues like crime and immigration, both issues that are out of control and chaotic and something that President Biden hasn't been able to lead on. So that in and of itself, I think, will definitely uh, devastate the Democrats come the midterm elections with a big red wave win. Yeah. And, and another problem which people are voting against is this wide open border. There has been no slowdown of migrants right. coming into this country. I got to be honest with you. I, I sit and I, I'm puzzled by trying to figure out how anyone could be talking about a reelection of Joe Biden right now. I mean, I got to be honest with you. We're going to have a tough time making it through two more years of the policies of this president and this political party. Look how much it's cost us, you and me, so far. I mean, just the money that has been spent. And he brags about spending that money, taking care of us. What he's doing, he's not raising the money through revenue at being the government, making it better, making it more economically sufficient to take care of what we're doing. He's not saying that at all. He's borrowing money and he's trying to buy support in the voting booth by giving money away. And at the same time, the money that he is giving away, we're paying it. Do you get that? We are paying every dime that is part of the federal government spending. Every dime. Joe Biden pays some personal taxes, probably not as much as he would like people to think he is. 
You and I are paying taxes, but we're going to pay a heck of a lot more somewhere down the road. It may not be you or me. It may be our kids. It may be our grandchildren. It may be our great-grandchildren because the United States is in debt up to its nose. Maybe even further than that. We may be uh, struggling to get a little bit of air every now and then. We're that far underwater. And Joe Biden actually thinks that people like what he's doing. So can you think of a president in history that was doing a worse job than Joe Biden? For me, it would be Jimmy Carter. I believe Jimmy Carter, I lived through it. I was in business. I was a general sales manager of a Ford Lincoln Mercury Toyota dealership when that was going on, and the car business struggled. Why? Prime interest rate was 17 18%. So when you went to the bank to borrow money to buy a car, they couldn't lend it to you for that. So you were paying hellacious interest rates. And so what did that mean? People quit buying for a while, couldn't buy for a while. There's no way they could figure it out. Buying and selling a new house, you face the same thing. Mortgage rates were 16 17%. When now people are griping because it's over 2 2.5%. And by the way, when uh, Donald Trump was president, that's where it was as well. 1%, 2% mortgage rates. Joe Biden is responsible. I don't care what he says or anybody else says. All of this economic woe is on him. By the way, talking about uh, the state of Delaware, Joe Biden's home state, he's upside down in the polls in his own state. Looking back at a previous president, a turnaround president, and then running against a Democrat opponent. Can you remember one in your memory that uh, really just wiped up? It was Ronald Reagan, 1984, his re-election bid. Listen to what he won. He won 49 states in his run against the former Vice President Walter Mondale. He beat Mondale in a landslide. 525 electoral votes, 60% of the popular vote. No other candidate in U.S. history has matched Reagan's electoral vote total in a single election. This is the most recent U.S. presidential election in which a candidate received over 500 electoral votes. Reagan and George H.W. Bush faced only token opposition for their renomination. Mondale faced a competitive field in his bid. He defeated, remember, Gary Hart, also activist Jesse Jackson. Several other candidates were running to represent the Democrat Party against Reagan. He eventually chose U.S. Representative Geraldine Ferraro of New York as his running mate. That's the best thing. That's the best thing Walter Mondale could do, get a woman to run on the ticket with him. 49 states, Reagan won. The only state Mondale won, which state do you think it is? It was his home state. Minnesota, that's the only state he won. And look at Joe Biden, his home state. (laughs) Just a little over a year into this thing, they're dead set against their own guy. 
Oh, my gosh. Something kind of crazy came out overnight. Former Democratic Kentucky State Rep. Charles Booker. He appeared to be pinning his hopes to beat incumbent Senator Rand Paul in the November election on race baiting in a new campaign ad. It's so misleading. The ad is that USA Today, of all people, fact-checked it. I looked at it this morning. I, I, uh, I couldn't legally bring it over here for you to hear, so I'll just tell you. He posted it to his social media accounts, and the new ad from Booker's campaign begins with a content warning. You know, the kind of things when a television program comes up, there's going to be violence in it. Well, the warning in this ad says it's a content warning due, its, due to its strong imagery. It then opens on a noose dangling from a tree. And then it changes scenes to the U.S. Capitol with the noose in front of the U.S. Capitol before later appearing wrapped around the politician's neck as he proclaims the pain of our past persists to this day. In Kentucky, like many states throughout the South, he said in the ad, lynching was a tool of terror. It was used to kill hopes for freedom. It was used to kill my ancestors. He then proceeded to mislead the viewers into thinking that Paul is in favor of lynching, trivializes slavery, and would have opposed the 1964 Civil Rights Act if he had had the opportunity, before holding tightly to the noose and asking, do we move forward together, or do we let politicians like Rand Paul forever hold us back and drive us apart? Calling it a certain-to-be-controversial ad may have been an understatement for the article published by USA Today, but they got to the point on Booker's fallacious attack against Rand Paul. Morgan Watkins, who was chief political reporter for the Louisville Courier-Journal and an author of the piece, pointed out that Booker's claim of Paul's opposition to the Civil Rights Act lightly came from a 2010 interview where his opinion was far more nuanced and had more to do with what powers the federal government actually was meant to have. Paul stated plainly, I abhor racism. I think it's a bad business decision to ever exclude anybody from your restaurant, but at the same time, I do believe in private ownership. But I think there should be absolutely no discrimination in anything that gets any public funding, and that's most of what the Civil Rights Act was about. On his Rand Paul's opposition to the 2020 federal anti-lynching legislation, Paul was once again clear that he was not against the merit of the bill, but its particular execution. And he explained this at the time. The bill was too broad as to what constituted a lynching, which he also noted was already illegal. We want the bill to be stronger, he said in 2020. We think that lynching is an awful thing that should be roundly condemned, should be universally condemned. I don't think it's a good idea to conflate someone who has an altercation where they had minor bruises with lynching. As it was written, the bill included 10-year sentences for acts of vandalism like graffiti, which did not relate at all to the scope of what the legislation was meant to address. 
And so Paul proudly co-sponsored the new legislation that was passed, by the way, with unanimous consent, and signed into law by President Biden in March, something Booker left entirely out of his ad. As for his comments on slavery in the ad, Paul was speaking in regards to the Affordable Care Act in 2011 when he opposed the argument that health care was a right. To say as such was equivalent to stating health care workers must be forced to provide care under any circumstances. With regard to the idea whether or not you have a right to health care, he said, you got to realize what that implies. I'm a doctor. You have a right to come to my house and conscript me. It means you believe in slavery. Paul went on, you are going to enslave not only me, but the janitor at my hospital, the person who cleans my office, the assistants, and the nurses. So here we are, folks. We today, the Democrat Party today and its candidates running for office, have devolved into being a nation that sincerely, based upon their party, needs to look like anything other than a totally free with the citizens in the nation having all the personal rights and also controlling what our, uh, what our legislation does and what our administration does when it comes to running our government. Democrats in the past, you look back at the great leaders in the Democrat Party back in the 60s and 70s. There were some really good ones. There were some bad seeds. It's no different. Bad seeds, evil, corruption doesn't belong to just any one political party. I mean, look around you in your lifetime. Look around where you work. Look around your family, your extended family. Evil's everywhere. Nobody gets a free pass, and you have to deal with it. But you don't deal with something that's bad by exacerbating it, by misrepresenting what it really is when you're trying to get somebody to put you in a position of power to lord over those kinds of things. God bless the USA Today, and I thought I would never say that. They actually came out and did a real fact check on this guy. Now, let me tell you what has already happened. I knew when I heard about this and read this yesterday, this was going to happen. Because the USA did that, I thought to myself, the USA Today is going to be blasted. They're going to turn this into racism because this guy, this candidate, is African-American. And so the USA comes out and they do the fact check and they're fact checking it in the favor of a white guy from the South, no less. <laughs> Kentucky was in the South. And so Rand Paul is a racist. I mean, there you go. So is the USA Today. And that's what many on the left are saying today about this. Wow. It just gets better and better, doesn't it? I had something else that I was going to say, and I'm trying to figure out what it Oh, yeah. Do you honestly think, and, and I, I'm asking honestly, do you really think that Hillary Clinton is ever going to be held liable for her obvious crimes? I mean, every time something comes up, she skates through it. What happened over and over and over again during her reign as Secretary of State it was horrible. It impacted people all around the world. I mean, that's what a Secretary of State does. 
They travel overseas. They meet with the leaders of foreign nations. Uh, They try to talk these leaders into doing certain things, negotiating, trying to get a consensus of a group of people to get on board of things that will keep the nation and the world safe. And then the Benghazi incident happened, and those American leaders, including our ambassador, was killed, slaughtered on the streets in Benghazi. And the people that were in Benghazi, the ones that tried to save the lives of these others, tell stories about how they were abandoned by the Secretary of State and even the general that was over CENTCOM at the time, they were abandoned. They didn't make any attempt to come help them, help them get out of Benghazi and to stay safe while these horrible people were out to slaughter them and did. And then in testimony before Congress, I'll never forget this, she acted like she was mad when she was Ask these questions. Her favorite favorite and very famous line out of Benghazi, Benghazi is, at this point, what difference does it make? In other words, they're dead. We can't undo what was done then, so why are we back here doing an, an autopsy on what happened when there's no way any of us could see and look ahead and know what was going to happen if we did this or did that or didn't do this or didn't do that. And I think it's a fair question. Do you think, and I'm asking you this question, do you think that Hillary Clinton will ever be charged, even if it's not for something kind of specific, you know, but for her conspiracies? She was up to her eyeballs in conspiracy after conspiracy all the way through. Remember this, communication, transportation, all that kind of stuff of all of the things to do with the Secretary of State office when she was in office, it came out of an unsecure server at her house in New York. An illegal server. It wasn't classified. The Department of Justice hadn't even been asked to come over there and certify and to make sure that that server was classified and everything that came in and went off of it wouldn't be picked off by foreign foes. And by the way, James Comey, the disgraced head of the FBI at the time when that investigation was going on, he very quietly said they know for a fact that every email that was sent or received to that server, it was forwarded to a server in China. You may not have even heard about that. Check it out. It's a fact. So classified information was disseminated. In some cases, by the way, the then president of the United States, Barack Obama, had a Gmail account that nobody in the Department of Justice knew about until Hillary's uh, computer thing came up and it started being investigated. He was communicating with his Secretary of State on this computer server, so his communication with the Secretary of State, it was picked up and sent simultaneously to this server over in China. And I don't think for a second that server over there belonged to any part of the American government. (laughs) 
I think it probably is down the hall from Xi Jinping's office. Nevertheless, she gets away. She's been bulletproof her entire career. Do you think she's ever going to be held accountable? Well, ex-Clinton campaign lawyer Michael Sussman praising the jury as they find him not guilty of lying to the FBI. I told the truth to the FBI, and the jury rec clearly recognized that with their unanimous verdict today. Despite being falsely accused, I'm relieved that justice ultimately prevailed in my case. Our next guest argues this just proves there is only a jury of Clinton supporters rather than peers when it comes to the D.C. establishment. Fox News legal analyst Greg Jarrett joins us now with more. You know, Greg, when I saw the, this verdict come out, I said, D.C. is a corrupt place, but everybody knew that already. Yeah, I mean, as soon as the jury was picked, I said on our air that this case is headed for jury nullification which is when a jury decides to ignore the facts and the evidence, repudiate the rule of law, and perversely acquit a guilty person for partisan political reasons. And that's precisely what happened. This was a jury that was stacked with Hillary Clinton supporters, and believe it or not, Hillary Clinton campaign donors. And of course, the campaign paid for Michael Sussman, the defendant's uh, peddling of phony information to the FBI. In other words, think of it this way, money from the pockets of some of the jurors went into the pockets of the defendants. So how in the world mm -hmm. they were not disqualified is utterly confounding, but the judge appointed by Obama said, oh gee, I, it's fine, they can serve, wink, wink, to the defense table and thus the result. Yeah, well, in a town where 90% of the people who live there vote for Democrats, maybe they just had a hard time finding some impartial jurors. But I wanted to talk about the bigger picture here. This, of course, is the first trial in the Durham probe for people who are watching, who want to see justice for what happened during the 2016 presidential election. Uh, is this a bad sign for the Durham probe moving forward? Will, will there be any kind of accountability for the kind of dirty political tricks the Clinton campaign used by weaponizing the FBI against political opponents. Well, the verdict notwithstanding, Durham and his team of prosecutors did present, and this will be in their forthcoming report, that this was all a hoax that was personally invented by Hillary Clinton, who approved a plan, July 26, 2016, to frame Trump as a Russian asset. Uh, she ordered the dissemination of the information by her confederates, and in fact, she and her campaign funded uh, the Russia hoax. And so that was presented in court under federal regulations. There will be a report by Durham. And then, of course, you've got in the fall the trial in a very different court in Virginia Eastern District of Igor Danchenko, who fed Christopher Steele all of the bogus information contained in his dossier. Will Hillary Clinton ever be charged for her conspiracy to defraud the government? I'm not optimistic of that. Well, and as we know, Greg, this wasn't just a narrative that was pushed during the 2016 election. It bled through President Trump's first term, led to a special counsel investigation, arguably impeachment, and so on and so forth. But we can read your op-ed at foxnews.com. Greg Jarrett, thank you so much. Thanks, Katie.
I'm Steve Ducey. I'm Brian Kilme. And I'm Ainsley Earhart. And click here to subscribe to the Fox News YouTube page to catch our hottest interviews and most compelling analysis. Don't you like those tags on those YouTubes where they come back and do a, a commercial for the network? I guess they have to get it in there, get a zing going any way they possibly can. There's nothing wrong with that. That's just playing business. Let me ask you a question, a personal question. When this news came up about this this new monkeypox, it's really not news, but I guess it was news for all of us. Did you really get concerned? I, I mean, nobody in the United States could not be concerned about it. I mean, think about it. We just went through two years of the worst pandemic, well, at least the pandemic effects that we've ever seen. Much of it was unnecessary. We find out every day that more and more was unnecessary, that it was weaponized, it was politicized over and over again. We found all that out. So in the shadow of that, when we hear monkeypox, it's coming. And the World Health Organization puts it out there. And when they announced it, folks, they made it sound like it is COVID-19 on steroids. And now they're giving us information about it. They suggest that monkeypox has been spreading across the world in an undetected manner for some time. Ooh, we don't really know whether it's too late to contain. What WHO and all member states are trying to do is prevent onward spread. That's Dr. Rosamund Lewis, the WHO's monkeypox technical lead. She said that at a news conference in Geneva yesterday. So monkeypox is a virus, is generally endemic to certain African countries, may have been transmitted for months or years undetected, according to CNBC. An investigation is ongoing, we're told. The director of the WHO, Dr. Tedros, who's not a doctor, by the way, he said at the same news conference, most monkeypox cases have been reported by homosexual males who sought care at health clinics for sexually transmitted diseases. What are the symptoms of monkeypox? Generally resolve on their own, although symptoms can be severe in some cases. No deaths have been reported in Europe or even here in North America where there have been some cases reported. It's in Monkeypox is in the same family as smallpox, which has caused pandemics throughout human history, though officials have said it has milder symptoms. Collective immunity in the human population since that time is not what it was at the time of smallpox eradication. Anyone under the age of 40 or 50, depending on which country you were born in or where you might have received your vaccine against smallpox, would not now have that protection from that particular vaccine. Now put that in the context of what they've been telling us for years. Your kids got to get vaccinated. I mean, it's the law in most places. And one of them is a vaccination against smallpox. And then now, folks, they're telling us that smallpox vaccination you got that is supposed to also stop viruses like monkeypox. They're telling us now, oh, you better be careful. If you got that smallpox vaccine, the original one may not stop this one. Does that sound a little familiar to you? 
Do you remember all of the craziness about the mandates to get vaccinated by this administration? I mean, they kicked people out of the military. Thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people, Americans, lost their jobs simply because they subscribe to the same thing the abortion purveyors have been screaming loudly in our ears for years. My body, my choice. But when it comes to a not even confirmed disease, very few cases, and it's been around for decades, and it's fixable. It's fixable. It's not deadly like other diseases. And only one small sliver of our society is being impacted by us, and they're already laying the groundwork for monkeypox vaccinations. Nowadays, it's more important than ever to know the value of a dollar, or three, or four, or five, or even six. New Dunkin' Go-To's, now with brews. Tasty breakfast combos that give you more bang for your bucks. Get a wake-up wrap with sausage and a medium-hot coffee for $3. A bagel with cream cheese spread and a medium-hot coffee for $4. A bacon, egg, and cheese croissant with a medium-hot coffee for $5. Or a power breakfast sandwich and, you guessed it, a medium-hot coffee for $6. Dunkin' Go-To's, now with brews. America runs on Dunkin'. Participation may vary. Exclusion apply. Limited time offer. Please raise your right hand and repeat after me. I, George Walker Bush, do solemnly swear. I, George Walker Bush, do solemnly swear. That I will faithfully execute the office of President of the United States. That I will faithfully execute the office of President Sorry. of the United States. Let me just get this. Hello. Hey. I was just thinking about you. Yes, I was. Uh-huh. Yes, I was. No, you were. That I will faithfully execute the office of President. <laughs> So, uh, what are you wearing? A president uh, of the United uh, States. <laughs> oh. Say, can I call you back? So help me God. No, so you hang up. No, you hang up. No, you, you hang up. So help me God. You hang up. It's President's Day, and everybody's getting in on the special offer from Verizon Wireless. For just $25 per month, get 1,500 anytime minutes, plus free long distance. Verizon Wireless. Join in. When your cable company keeps you on hold, you get angry. When you get angry, you go blow off steam. When you go blow off steam, accidents happen. When accidents happen, you get an eye patch. When you get an eye patch, people think you're tough. When people think you're tough, people want to see how tough. And when people want to see how tough, you wake up in a roadside ditch. Don't wake up in a roadside ditch. Get rid of cable and upgrade to DirecTV. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. about the Uvalde shooting situation. It uh, was mentioned in a few stories across the nation yesterday. Deathly quiet today. And of course, I understand this is in the shadows of that horror that happened there last week and they're burying those babies. Oh my gosh. I buried a granddaughter once. I know how tough it is. And especially under these circumstances. And, of course, all the craziness that's coming out. Did the cops, the Uvalde cops, did they blow it? Should they have gone in sooner? 
investigations are they're going on, I mean, ad nauseum. We're going to hear about this for months to come. But something they're not talking about that's very important, and it's that special unit of the U.S. government that took this guy out. Border Patrol Tactical Unit, they call it BORTAC, agents receive training from military special forces vets and are selected through a challenging series of physical and mental tests. A BORTAC agent and a subject matter expert who trained the agents told us about this yesterday. BORTAC agents went into the elementary school classrooms during the Uvalde, Texas shooting when local law enforcement waited in the hallway. Remember that? They had 19 guys with guns waiting in the hallway. And many have labeled these BORTAC agents as heroes for what they did. We'd like to remain as silent professionals. We don't like the exposure. We just like to be quiet about our tactics. We just like to go in and get business taken care of, one of those agents said. So until three of these agents with the Border Patrol Tactical Unit burst into that classroom and shot the Uvalde, Texas school shooter dead, few of us in America even knew that that elite unit existed. And the reason they've largely flown under the radar and out of the public eye is simple. They see themselves as silent professionals. Before we were a secret society that nobody knew about, and there's still a lot of us that want to keep it that way, the agent said. Agents from Bortac rushed into Rob Elementary School classrooms where 18-year-old Salvador Ramos had opened fire, killed 19 children, two teachers. After Ramos began shooting, the agents ran in when local law enforcement waited to go into the classrooms for almost an hour. Bortac agents were first held back by local authorities for about 30 minutes before getting frustrated, stormed in on their own volition with Pete Arredondo, who's the chief of police in Uvalde's Consolidated Independent School District, reportedly instructing his officers to await backup and some additional equipment before they entered the school. When I heard this, I mean, I'm, 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 my kids are grown. I'm a grandfather. I've got six grandchildren. Two of them are basically grown, but the other four, they're young. And just the idea of thinking about them being held down Many of them already shot and killed in a classroom by this guy and had these 19 police officers out in the hallway that were waiting for backup. Every one of those 19 were armed. You got one guy in a classroom mowing down fourth graders and you have 19 guys that are armed and trained out in the hallway and the boss tells them to hold up. Vortex stormed the room, shot the killer, and the question will always hang up in the air. What would have happened if they had gone in sooner? How many lives would have been saved? This unit, Vortex, has responded to threats across the nation and abroad. It's trained by top elements of our military. And it it was formed way back in 1984. One thing we do look for in our guys is the preparedness, the awareness, and the willingness to go into danger. That's one thing that selection is really good for is we test our guys. 
You could test their ability and capabilities by stress. That's how we're able to tell if somebody's going to be able to go in into the fire. They receive not only internal training, but also training from Tier 1 elements of our military. Tier 1 refers to those U.S. Special Forces. Northern Red, just like the color red, it's a tactical training company, likely trained some of these agents that responded in Uvalde. So we're talking about basic operator level skills to include pistol and carbine markmanship, which are the tools of the trade. And we're talking about doing what's the worst case, as well as a wide range of tactical proficiencies that include hand-to-hand combat, and that is like controlling suspects. Things that need to do with night vision devices, infrared lasers, small unit tactics, close quarters, battle, as well as team leadership. This is according to one of those spokesmen in that unit. However, the last training with subject matter experts from Northern Red was in 2017 because of money. So we've been running hard ever since, just depending on what's the remnants of those guys that attended those courses. It's been tough, for the financial situation has really been hard on us, especially with this administration, where we can't get the funding for training. This administration will not fund the training for these special agents. I got to be honest with you. I wanted to make sure we got to that part of this report because I wanted to see if you share what I, what I feel when I hear about this. This is under Border Patrol. Who's over Border Patrol? Secretary of Homeland Security, Alejandro Mayorkas dead set against our borders being shut, dead set against taking actions to keep illegals from coming into our nation. Not only does he not stop them from coming in, he actually, along with President Biden, are suborning breaking of federal laws, actually helping these people, making these people and others want to come and let me make a prediction for you. And you, you might want to write this down. June 2nd, 2022, Dan Newman on TNN Live projected this will be discovered at some point. The cartels in Mexico are making, we are told, a billion dollars a month regarding illegal immigration. How are they doing it? Well, they're getting paid They're getting paid by people from all over Central and South America. It's turned into a really thriving business. So if you live in one of these places and you look at what's going on in the United States, you look at your personal circumstances and you say, you know what, man, I wish I could go there and start all over again, take my family. It's so much better there. There's so much more opportunity, good jobs, good education, and we can't get that here. And when you're saying that to somebody and that somebody pulls you to the side and said, I know a way you can get up there. You need to talk to this guy. So they call this guy and find out what's going on. And they assure him, look, for a couple of thousand, maybe 4,000, a family member, we can take you up to the southern border and make sure you get across the border. We can do that. And we will do it. 
That's happening in thousands and thousands of cases. Actually, I got to be honest with you. Look at the numbers. Millions of cases. Several million a year. You do the math. Look at how much money's in that for these cartels. But let's go one step further. There are two other segments of this Alejandro Mayorkas suborn process. Drug running. Tens of billions of dollars worth of drugs are being put together, manufactured around the world, even from China. Fentanyl comes from China. Well, it doesn't all come from there, but the abundance of our illegal fentanyl in the nation, our nation, comes from China. So the Chinese government, they're not stupid. They're not going to try to sneak it into the United States on Chinese ships or anything like that. No, 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 no. They're finding some drug mules, and they're paying these drug mules handsomely to do what? They ship the fentanyl to Mexico and Central America and other countries. They ship it there. And these illegals that are coming across the southern border, many of them are carrying illegal drugs. And I don't need to go into the story about how much illegal drugs there are in the nation and how many Americans are dying. You already know all of that. But where I'm going with this story, and I'm making a prediction, at some point in the future, we are going to find out that leaders in this government, maybe it's Mayorkas, Maybe it's someone else. When there's so much money at stake, and oh, by the way, on top of the drugs, on top of the illegals just getting across the border, we have sex trafficking. It's also a huge financially successful business. And a lot of these families that want to go from Mexico or other Central American countries, they're told, hey, we're going to get you over there. But then after the fact, They'll take some of these kids, these girls especially, and traffic them, sex traffic them across the border into the United States, and they don't always just stay here. They go to other countries. Somebody in our government is making money on this whole thing. I guarantee it. And not just making a few bucks, making millions of dollars. What makes you think that, Dan? Will you give me an answer? Why? I'm going to ask you this. You give me an answer. Why would our government let this happen when our government has the absolute ability to stop it in its tracks? Why would they continue to let it happen? There's got to be another reason. I don't care what you say. Our federal government is not doing this just to help out those poor people from Mexico and Central America. It's not happening that way. Don't believe that it is, because it's not. The love of money is the root of all evil, and there's plenty of money at stake down there, and I guarantee you that's what's going on. All we need to know now is who. Who's initiating all of this from north of the border? It could very well be somebody in our federal government, but it's going to come out at some point. It may not come out unless and until there's some kind of process to take down 
one of these people that are not enforcing the rule of law and swore an oath to do it and have been getting paid to do it, like Mayorkas or somebody else in there. I don't know. But when you have a vast geographical ground area to be able to use and use against law enforcement that can't cover it all, and because of that, you're able to traffic and make tens of millions of dollars, even billions of dollars by doing it, people are going to do it. And it's being done every day now. Another crisis comes up, up at Seattle this time. The worsening staffing crisis in the Seattle Police Department has forced the defunded force to stop taking on new adult sexual assault cases this year. This, is, this has been proved in an internal memo. Seattle Times got the story. Published yesterday a four-page memo which the sergeant in charge of the sexual assault child abuse unit sent internally to interim police chief Adrian Diaz back in April. In the memo titled Staffing Issues, Sergeant Pamela St. John said she currently is not able to assign new adult sexual assault cases because of other statutory requirements. Just three years ago, the unit had 12 skilled detectives, but at the time the memo was written, there are only four remaining. This depletion has left the remaining detectives with unsustainable caseloads, she wrote. That burden is even more impactful in our unit given the content and nature of the investigations, which directly leads to secondary issues like burnout and compassion fatigue. She noted how the unit has been out there and they see an increase in cases involving kids and teenagers. And in March of this year, 107 referrals from Child Protective Services, which is on par with where the referrals were before the pandemic as kids return to school and become more publicly visible. We expect our agency to respond to reports of sexual violence and at current staffing levels, we can't handle it, she wrote. The necessity for on-call detectives' response to these cases can't be understated, but with current staffing levels, the burden that falls upon our detectives is just too high. A skilled detective is required to proactively investigate a sexual assault case. Our kids, our babies, they can't take care of it. What is this nation coming to? Are we going to be able to make it through it? Yep, we're going to. And I want to thank you for being here with us today. Let's end on a good note. How about make somebody happy today? Do it. It's so important to make someone happy. Make just one someone happy. Make just one heart to heart you. You sing to one smile that cheers you, one face that lights when it nears you, one girl you're, you're everything to fame. If you win it, comes and goes in a minute, where's the real stuff in life? 